0: Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 75. For those of you that follow along each and every week, you'll know that I was set to interview the 2018 United States mid amateur Champion Kevin O'Connell. The interview was recorded. It went great. I think you all are going to really enjoy this episode when it posts. We got a lot of great questions from you all as part of the new Inside the Ropes segment. This is where listeners can send in questions to be included in the interview. Since we focused on a USGA champion, the USGA and Seamus Golf were kind enough to kick in a little nice swag for a giveaway. So that'll be sent out to one of our listeners. The winner will be announced on Instagram very shortly. so this is a good time for you to make sure that you're following along on all of our social media channels. Follow us on Instagram at the back of the range podcast. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. That's where you can get all the information on every single episode. You can pull that up on your podcast provider. Make sure you catch up on all of these great episodes coming out. Next week, as with every week, you'll have a brand new episode to listen to. And while you're listening to it, I'll be heading out of town for a bucket list golf trip to Casa de Capo in the Dominican Republic. Now, don't worry. I'm not just going to be playing golf, drinking beer, and hanging out by the pool all day. I mean... Don't get me wrong, that's that's what I'm going to be doing the most of, but I'm also going to be creating some video content, which you will see some sneak peeks of on our social media channels. If you haven't been to Casa de Campo and are thinking of getting down there at some point, hopefully some of the videos and pictures that I'll be able to share might just push you in that direction. I've never been there myself, I'm very excited to get there, so stay tuned for that. Before we get into this week's episode, here are some updates on our friends and previous guests of the podcast that are heading to the national championship in Arkansas. There were six regionals. Four of them were won by teams that have been represented here at the back of the range. Clearly, the mojo is working, apparently. Oklahoma State won their regional. They're coming in as the clear favorite to go back to back. Stanford hosted a regional and won it, powered by Isaiah Salinda and Brandon Wu. Congrats to those guys. Texas just destroyed the field at their regional. Cole Hammer got co-medalist. Illinois won their regional. Cal, even though they didn't win, it's nice to see that Colin Morikawa is going to cap off his senior season with a trip to Nationals. So best of luck to everyone at Nationals. I'll be watching, and while I won't be there, the mojo will be activated for you all. So along with the National Championship, the U.S. 4-ball is set to start next week at Bandon Dunes. And since I'll be out of town, I wanted to make sure that I passed along best wishes to all the competitors. You know, we have a lot of friends that are there that were guests on the podcast. Chip Brook and Mark Dahl—they were the finalists last year. They're going to be there. They were former guests on the pod. Uh, Sully and Dolhide, some buddies from FAU—they'll be there as well. TJ Schwartz partnering up with Casey Denezevich. This is his first time playing a USG event. Uh, Elliot McCoy, the old—I mean, not old time. Elliot McCoy, the um, seasoned. Senior amateurs are going to be there, as well as Hagestad and his partner, Derek Busby. So another team that's going to be there is Scott Harvey and Todd Mitchell. They were semifinalists in the 2015 U.S. four ball. We recently had Harvey on as a guest. So this week, let's grab his partner, Todd Mitchell. He is going to be our guest this week at the back of the range. Todd is no stranger to USGA events himself. He was the finalist in the 2008 U.S. mid Amateur Champion. He's competed in numerous USGA events. He's an Illinois State Amateur Champion. We got to talk about a lot of things. Very interesting episode. We talked about his previous sport, Minor League Baseball. He actually played in the Yankees organization. A lot of similarities between Minor League Baseball and Mini Tours. We also talked about the hot-button topic of reinstated amateurs. You know, A lot of former pros are showing up at these national amateur events, so it was very interesting to get his take on this topic. So, as I said, very interesting, very informative episode. Let's get right to it. Todd, thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we just talked to your buddy, uh, Scott Harvey, a few episodes back. And, uh, well, you probably know better than anyone that he is just an absolute piece of work. We're going to definitely get into some Scott Harvey stories a little bit later in the episode. You are his uh, four-ball partner for a lot of the U.S. four-ball tournaments But uh, before we get into that, um, Illinois, what what's going on with your weather right now? Because I'm down in South Florida, which, of course, you know, that's not making me popular with just about the entire country. But but what is going on in Illinois with your weather right now? Well,
1: right now it's about 63. Um, It rained early this morning, rained yesterday, rained the day before. Um, We had six inches of rain last week. Um, at this point in time, the, the weather can fluctuate from uh, almost snow, it seems like this year, this year, uh, to near 80 degrees and, and, and very warm.
0: That's kind of a problem with trying to get a golf game ready to compete uh, at any sort of level. Forget about trying to just go hit some balls with the buddies and play a little golf, but you actually need to compete. We can dive into this actually right away. How do you? Uh, being from an area in the country where the golf season is limited do you have to kind of reboot your game every single year so to speak or how do you keep your game in in working order to be able to compete
1: it's you know it's tough uh early in the spring because a lot of the places that uh, we go like a couple weeks ago i was down in, in um, south florida where yeah. you're at and it's warm and it wasn't Uh, It was opposite of basically what we have here, where everything's really soft coming out of winter and slow, and down there it was extremely firm and fast. Um, So really there is no preparation for course-like conditions. Um, We have, I guess, a warm, a heated bay Range. Okay, yeah. uh, the the problem with that is in, in our area it, it's been open so long they haven't really redone the balls so it, it's really <laughs> tough to tough oh to God. get an idea. Okay. So basically we have to wait most of the time until some of the outside ranges open. I do have access. Uh, I'm close uh, with the Illinois State golf team and they have uh, a couple simulators inside, so I can get in and use those. So that's kind of how it works. You know, play. Over the winter, try to go somewhere, whether it's with a family or on a golf trip. You know, close to once a month, just to get out of here. Right. Uh, and maybe, like you said, kind of reboot and and just see how things are going.
0: Uh, I'm just when you're picturing these old range balls, I'm thinking because I think we're both uh, early 40s, and I'm just thinking of like the old like Max Fly DDH or Molitors with a red stripe put on them with that have about maybe 12 dimples total on the golf ball. And, uh, actually, so, so if that's what you're hitting, if that's what you're, um, used to up there, uh, this is kind of a fun question, but I always like to ask when you get to a really posh course that has just amazing practice facilities and stacked pro V ones on the range, do you still kind of feel like a kid in the candy store when you get to see practice facilities like that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. uh, I'm I'm glad you said that because, like, for me, no matter how many clubs I've been to, no matter how many experiences I've had in tournaments, you come to one of those perfectly manicured range with just the the pearly white Pro V1s that just say practice on them and just perfect grass everywhere and target greens. It's like I'm 13 again and I just got, like, the best baseball card ever out of a pack. It's like, yeah.
1: It's funny you mentioned baseball. Um I coach my son's baseball team. And this early in the spring, uh we we use kind of last year's baseballs. Okay. And and so when we break out the new balls that we yes. bought over the winter and we take batting practice for the first time, the boys are like, you know, over the moon.
0: Eyes are lit they, up. They, they,
1: Yes, and that's exactly how you feel. You oh, know, yeah. they they've got, you know, the balls are are, you know, n- brand new or new. Um And, you know, they fly pretty much the exact same thing as the ball that you use on the course. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, it it puts you in a good mood even before you hit a ball.
0: Oh, absolutely. What's the, I I know, um, you know, I know you had a runner up at the U S mid-am in 2008, Uh, you know, winning that would have got you to the masters obviously, but um, you know, the practice facility at Augusta national is probably one of the best in the world. What is, can you remember what your best practice facility that you've encountered has been just to be on there. Like, I, I just don't want to leave this place.
1: As of right now, it's 100% Pine Valley. Really? Oh yeah. It's so good. I mean, there's, um, the space that they have just at the entire facility is, is just vast. And I mean, you, you, there's two sides of the range and I mean, it's gotta be 400 yards to the other end where the other guys are hitting, um they've got i don't even know how many different green practice greens and target greens from all different yardages uh like you said the grass is perfect they have you know a fairway that's mown to the left side it, it, it's perfect it, it really is it's perfect
0: so you've you've played pine valley you've played the crum cup but you know this is the the uh, collection of all the prominent mid amateurs in the country, and I know we've heard the name Pine Valley. Most people, obviously listening, have never been there. Uh, it's a very exclusive country club. It's it's you know it's basically it's Augusta National and Pine Valley go one two back and forth. It seems on everyone's list. when When was your first time there, and what was it like being not just at that club for the first time? But being surrounded by all these names like, you know, Nathan Smith and Gene Elliott and Mike McCoy and all the the big dogs of mid-amateur golf. And it's your first time there. Um, forget about the course, but when you show up there, I mean, what's that like?
1: I started playing national amateur stuff in 2007. So, and I didn't play my first Crump Cup until probably 2012 or 13. Okay, So I had met most of them before. You know either at a mid-am or am or some other um event that we were playing in yeah so the the field you know it wasn't it's not like playing against you know tiger woods or film Mickelson or those sure. guys you know because you know you, uh, we've had conversations or, or played alongside one another so it wasn't necessarily the the awe of playing with those guys in the same field it was more excited to know that you were going to play the number one course in the world yeah and see what it's about and the i guess enthusiasm that you have for that outweighs everything else you're just so excited
0: to be there yeah you just and you, you just don't want to leave that place do you you don't really leave there i mean <laughs> you oh yeah you're on you there's stay. no reason to yeah that's amazing yeah that's uh, well that's that's definitely on people's bucket list uh I don't know you got a beg bar on steel to get into that joint so um, Yeah
1: it's uh it's the, the easiest time you're going to play It's the first time.
0: The easiest time you're going to play it is the first time. Okay. Because you
1: don't you, because you don't quite know where everything's at yet.
0: Okay. And
1: and you know if you play it a few times then you'll see some guys uh get into some spots that um that they may never get out of. Okay. So and, so, the, so and, the less
0: you know the, the less you know is is the better is what you're saying
1: yep the less you know and less your caddies they're all pretty good there
0: oh yeah well um i just didn't want to skip over the fact you know your your beginning in golf is is fascinating you know i've talked to a lot of amateurs talked to professionals and everyone has their different story you're actually not the first one that has a baseball background i did speak with ryan Howson, who you know played on the nike tour in the 90s he played uh uh, college baseball at the university of North Carolina. But, uh, you know, you played college baseball too at Illinois state, you know, all Missouri Valley conference shortstop. And you actually played professionally for a little while in the Yankees organization. I love talking to these mini tour guys about, Hey, tell me the, tell me the brutal travel, the brutal hotel rooms, the brutal food, and how you just navigate yourself around the country. Uh, you don't have that story as far as golf goes, but I'm sure you have that story as far as baseball goes. Because Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're playing class A ball in Staten Island. Um, I, I'm guessing it's not uh, it's not four-star hotels and, uh, and seafood buffets, right?
1: Uh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> we actually stayed uh, at the College of Staten Island, some of their apartments that they had. And they actually, I believe at the time, uh, for short season A, right after the draft uh guys made about 1500 a month well and living in new york they actually bumped that up they the the team was in oneonta new york and upstate kind of by cooperstown okay and then my my first year uh was also the first year in staten island so we played at the college of staten island you know with um makeshift stands and we we were very well supported And now they've got you know uh, an unbelievable stadium that overlooks um kind of the statue of liberty is in the background freedom towers are in the background so i mean it's it's completely different now than what it was but we stayed they bumped us up to 2000 a month that that was what we got you know obviously after taxes it it was lower than that right we stayed in the bottom in basically the basement of a a complex and we had literally concrete floors And, and our our beds didn't even have like a box spring. It just had a spring, a spring and a mattress. (laughs) They were not good conditions. Okay, It it was almost better to get to some of the hotels that we stayed in.
0: I'm just, yeah, this, this sounds like squalor. Like this sounds like it would be a place that just is not fit to live. Like, I can't believe you just didn't say like, yeah, we shared it with rats. I mean, just that didn't,
1: I don't remember seeing any I'm sure there were some there oh. um but we you know we didn't even have cable so I I um actually my parents I believe drove my car out um to New York and left it with me so I had something when they did that they brought like uh, a small TV sure. and back then it was like a VHS player oh yeah you know? so we my two roommates and I would sit there and I remember we watched rush hour over and over and over again you know we didn't have anything else to watch uh and a couple other movies and that was pretty much it okay (laughs) yeah yeah
0: all right uh we didn't spend a whole lot of time there yeah Uh uh-huh well baseball sounds glamorous uh (laughs) yes it's great
1: and and then uh outside of that you know you've got nine ten hour bus trips with uh sometimes a guy sitting directly next to you so you know overnight it's tough to sleep sure um yeah you know, nobody's ever quiet until, you know, very, very early in the morning.
0: Yeah. And then you got to go, then you got to go play, do your job. And and you're trying to figure out how am I going to do something to get me up the ranks and get out of here? So, so you pretty much, I guess, you know, you didn't have a a very long professional baseball career, but, you know, you played a couple of years, then you start, you know, getting into the, to the workforce and then picking up golf. When did, um, I know you didn't play golf in college, but you know, when did golf kind of get Kind of on your radar and something that you like competing in.
1: My dad was a golfer. He played in a lot of the state events, and and I think he's even played in a couple uh, senior AMs. He got me started really young. You know, we we've got old beta tapes. You know, most of the people wouldn't have any idea what that is. (laughs) We've got old old beta tapes of of me hitting golf balls when I was like three years old. So I was introduced to the game at a very early age, um, and then continued to play. In some kind of local tournaments just during the summer, you know, in between baseball and, you know, basketball, whatever else was going on at the time. Um, then I played some junior stuff. But, the, you know, back when I was in high school, uh, everything was, uh, you know, the summers were dedicated to baseball. But the AJGA isn't what it is now. Right. Or it right. wasn't what it is now. Um, so it was, I think it was just kind of getting popular at that time it wasn't the vehicle to college that it is now.
0: And, you know, baseball, golf, two completely different swings. You just, it's hard to do both well at the same time.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there are some similarities, um, but for the most part, the movement patterns are, uh, uh,
0: are quite a bit different. Yeah. I mean, you you can do both, but you're just not gonna, yeah, there's at some point if you're, if you're it's, the, it's hard to excel at both. Exa- yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you get into, uh, you know, I guess you get into the workforce. and know you're in insurance uh, sales, and you you're playing in state ends. I think you're you're started kind of at the turn, you know, around 2000 2001, starting to get into, you know, playing competitively. A lot of people that play high level amateur golf, you know, you may see the job titles like real estate or financial advisor or wealth management or insurance, which is the field you're in. Uh, yep could be a hundred percent off base, but I'm just curious, did you select your career based on in small part, the amount of time it would allow you to devote to your golf or was it just something that you kind of fell into?
1: It it was kind of, um, family driven. Okay. Uh, when we were, when I was very, very young, we lived in a small town, even smaller than Bloomington and my dad actually sold, uh, like farm tractors. Really? Yeah. And, um, After that, kind of during that time, uh, the economy, the national economy wasn't doing great. And uh, the farmers weren't really buying too many tractors at that time. So my dad took a job at uh, Clemens and Associates, which is where I work now. And so I was very young and kind of grew up with, I, I wouldn't say that the agency was new, but kind of it was going in a different direction maybe at that time and got to spend a lot of time with, uh, the other families that worked at the place uh, at the agency. And and it wasn't that, um, you know, it was kind of, since I was very young, I, I kind of knew that I was going to probably head in this direction when other things didn't work out.
0: Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that time, that 2000, 2001 was definitely a time where jobs were not fun. So, and, and, and careers were, were, we're kind of off base. So you you let me pivot back to a little bit of the USGA experience you've had. You've played multiple US amateurs, multiple US mid amateurs. You know, I'm not going to go down every single uh, list of every single event you've played in, but it's always fun. At least I think it's always fun to look back at some of these US amateurs and US mid amateurs from, uh, you, you know, from the pa- from the past and pull up the uh, the match trees and see, you know, who made match play and who beat who and. You know, it's funny, you played in 06 at Hazeltine, you qualified, you made match play. I know you lost to Webb Simpson in the opening round, but, but man, you know, you got Rich, that's the year that Richie Ramsey won. And, you know, he took down Ricky Fowler in like this 21 hole semifinal. You got Dustin Johnson losing to John McClain, who's uh, Jim McClain's son out of South Florida. Horschel's there, you know, Kevin Chappell, Trip Keeney. You've played at all these USG events and you see these young kids coming up the ranks because you know basically you're you're not getting into those into those until you were a mid amateur, um, right? So every year you see a new crop. Um, I I know it's uh, you tons and tons of kids coming up, but um, you know what are can you think of maybe one person that you saw or a couple people that you saw that that now on the PGA tour that at the time you're like wow okay this kid uh, we might I might want to watch out for this kid.
1: I do remember that year uh, that you're talking about it uh, up at Hazel Team. Yeah. And um, another mid-AM and I, and, and a good friend, Skip Berkmeyer. Uh, yeah. The fir- this was the, really the first time that I met Skip. We played a practice round um, at the Chaska Town Course. And that's actually, I believe, where Billy Horschel shot, shot 60.
0: I do remember the 60.
1: Um, but we played a practice round, and th- there was an up-and-coming player at uh, Oklahoma State. Named Pablo Martin.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember.
1: and and we played with him, and, and it was kind of like you know the normal practice round stuff. And then I heard him, you know, he was kind of talking to his caddy, and he said, "Okay, I'm going to actually, you know, like play this hole like I would." And it was just totally different. You know, the the intensity that he was able to switch on even in a practice round was, was something that I, I don't know that I'd ever seen before. And he hits it to like 25 feet and makes it. You know, that was just very impressive. Um, I've run into just uh, a few of the big name guys. I've maybe seen them swing on the range. I've never really played with many of them. Um, the 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 one I would say the, the guy that impressed me the most at a at a very young age was Jordan Spieth. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't at a, a, a USGA event. It was at the Azalea one year, and <laughs> we were actually staying together with uh, the uh, chairman of the event, uh, David Humphreys, had us uh, all in a house together with some friends from Chicago that he's uh, uh, known for years and years and years. So we're talking um, to them at night and then, you know, I'm watching him hit balls and, and it's basically like the same back then it is now. His, his swing was, you know, the tempo's the same, you know, the idiosyncrasies were all there. Right. And uh, I played well the first two rounds and then all of a sudden, and, and Jordan, I think was maybe, I think he was a group, uh in front of me so i was maybe beating him by a shot or two and you know he was the number one ranked junior in the world and i'm kind of thinking to myself you know i'm this guy with a job and this is the number one ranked junior in the world you know how how good is he really right you sure know? and all of a sudden the last day the, the wind switched picked up um it cooled off and i i'm playing each hole with both hands on the steering wheel, try to keep it, you know, on, on the road Right. and Jordan and Jordan shoots 64.
0: Okay. That'll...
1: <laughs> so, so that kind of opened my eyes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that I wouldn't say that was the first time that it really took effect, like how good the high school and, and college players are now, right. but it, it, it's a different level. I mean, it, it it's taken on a, a whole different direction and the, the facilities that they have access to—I mean, the the talent level and the commitment level—is is unbelievable.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the the youth movement, so to speak. You know, you're talking about Spieth, who's uh, you know world class player, but you know, you've you've played with Scott Harvey in the U.S. Four Ball, and you know, the U.S. Four Ball—you uh, know, the the first time was that at the inaugural event, you were a semifinalist with Harvey there. I think that was 2015. And, you know, that was created um, not necessarily to replace, but it was created kind of after the USAM Publinks was removed. And I think if I remember correctly, the USGA removed it because it had turned into basically just another US amateur because college players were able to play the Publinks because they didn't consider being on a college golf team necessarily a A private membership so that was kind of a loophole where you'd have these college stars coming in there that had access to all these university facilities and they were running through there so they got rid of that but then i look after even after the i think it was you know todd white nathan smith one that won in 2015 but when you look at the winners of the four ball in 16 17 and 18 they're all high school kids yeah. Um, you know, even last year, you know, we had Cole hammer and, and Garrett Barber on last year, uh, on, on the podcast, you know, they won it last year, but they're all like college players, uh, freshmen, you know, they're young kids. You've been at this event, you, you've played it with, with Harvey. Um, do you kind of get that feel that this tournament is kind of, you know, I mean, it's all walks of life, but does it have more of a feel that, yeah, these young kids are just kind of, they're the strong ones in this tournament.
1: I don't know that year in and year out. It, it, it will be like that okay. uh, i mean obviously obviously cole was um one of the i mean he was ranked extremely high oh yeah coming in, in even as a uh, incoming freshman last fall um and and you got to see you know how good they really are you know because scott and i uh we played very well the first round uh and then you know i thought we had a chance to be medalists, and and we really weren't even close um I think we had like a four or five seed and were beat by two or three shots uh, for being medalist after stroke play. But we played uh, with,
0: and this is Jupiter uh, Hills last year down in yeah. yeah this Jupiter Hills, uh, very very historic golf course right uh, up in the uh, Jupiter, Florida area,
1: and and it's it's a fantastic place. Yeah. But, but in terms of like the the high school or youth movement. Um Scott and I played with um uh Frankie Capen and Ben Wong at Wingfoot in the stroke play portion. And they were, you know, let's see, we were those three years ago. So we were, you know, late 30s, 37, and you know, these kids were 16 years old. Yeah. And then we make match play and they did two. And the first round we play is against um uh Shigeki Mariyama's son. And they were like, they were like 15. Oh, God. So, so their ages together don't equal one of us, you know? Um, and then fast forward one year at Pinehurst and Frankie and Ben win. Of course. Yeah. And I'm not sure that every year we'll have a high school team winning, but there are, there are going to be some, some teams that play in the four ball that uh, are multiple teams that are high school kids that are um, extremely talented that will definitely compete year in and year out. I don't know that every year that somebody will win like that, but because there's a lot of really good mid-ams and, and other college players that aren't playing in the NCAAs that that ha- have a great chance of winning as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you meant, you know, we were talking about Harvey. Uh, you guys got, got put together or, or met, you know, Harvey's from North Carolina. You're from Illinois. I think you guys met around 2010 at the, at the USGA state team championships, what, um, you know, what makes your partnership, um, and we can speak to, I mean, we can go down a, a rabbit hole of questions about four ball and how do partners get along, but, uh, you know, what's, what are some of the strengths, what are some of the things you got to kind of stay away from, but what are some of the things that make your team work other than, you know, everyone can play at that level, but what makes your team work? You think,
1: I think what makes, uh, so, so I guess successful, you can um, say
0: successful, you, you made, you made, semis, you made semis at the U S four Bowl. We can, we can safely say that you guys are successful,
1: you know, and, and because of my, uh, my ranking, we have to qualify if we don't make it to the semis every year. And, and, uh, so, and we've had to qualify, I think this is our fifth one. We've had to qualify four times, um, at, at all different spots. So we've been successful that way. Um, we've had really good rounds and played really good matches there. Um, so I I think one, we have a very, we, we tend to grind it out very well when things or conditions aren't the greatest or we're not playing the greatest, uh, we tend to get as much out of that round as possible. Um, but I, I think it's not, I don't know that we view how to play the same way, um, we kind of let each other do what they do and you know if they have if we have a question or we need to discuss something then we do it if not you know just go play sure and we you know we kind of stay out of each other's way you know and then we have a lot of fun on the course you know that there's you know if, uh, during a four and a half or half a five hour round there's a lot of downtime and we joke around we tell stories you know we you know, just conversations. Uh, I mean, we, we, laugh a lot and, you know, we just have a good time. We, I think we really just enjoy uh, being out there and playing four ball.
0: So it sounds to me also, it's like you kind of take on the role of you're you're the caddy for for Scott Harvey and he's the caddy for, for Todd, for Tom Mitchell and trying to, trying to keep each other light and not talk about golf for five hours um, and, and try and keep your minds occupied on other things. Um, I mean, is that pretty much a safe way to say it right there?
1: Yeah, uh, and and neither of us have the, the best attention span anyway. Okay. So to try to focus, so to try to focus on something for that long, um, it, it wouldn't work for us very well anyway.
0: <laughs> nice. What are some of the things you guys talk about? Because I talk, uh, I talked to Harvey. And man, oh, he was, he was oh, so good. I mean, just like, just like, that's the guy, you know, we're talking and he's just like, yeah, well, you know, when I'm not playing these big ass tournaments, I just like getting a cooler beer in the golf course and getting the speaker going. And, and, uh, I like playing and hit and giggle scrambles. I'm like, who are you? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? He's, uh, he,
1: he, I haven't played. I, I went on a golf trip with him one time. Okay. Uh, that wasn't that, that didn't have anything to do with the tournament and it, it's definitely like that. Yeah. You know, you, you have a good time, you relax. Um, you, we, we did race around in carts. I don't remember having a speaker, but, uh, there were some beverages, uh, nice. consumed and, uh, yeah, we, you know, just relax and have a good time. You know, that's, that's the lighter side. You know, we do enjoy the competition, but we also just like being out there and, and, and having fun. <laughs> I,
0: I can't imagine what a golf trip with Scott Harvey looks like, but, uh, <laughs> it, it can't be that. It can't be that serious. Um, you didn't play the mini tour. Uh, you didn't go the mini tour route. You didn't uh, no. play professionally. True amateur. Uh, been an amateur entire life. I I think if I remember correctly, at, I think either last year's US Mid Am or or one of the previous ones. They actually looked at the field and saw that maybe the number was thirty percent, forty percent. I can't remember exactly, but it was a pretty substantial number of the competitors at the U.S. Mid-Am that had been professionals previously. Yep. So I know it's kind of a, a, I I guess it would be like a hot-button topic and could be debated for for hours and hours, but um, do you have thoughts on – Having reinstated amateurs playing at such a such prestigious amateur events with things like U.S. Open and Masters exemptions on the other end,
1: uh, I, I definitely think this is a hot button topic. Um, depending on who you talk to, they, they sure. would have um, either the same opinion of mine or possibly even the opposite. You know, I, I'm I'm friends with guys that have. Good careers uh, on tour. They may not have lasted long, but they've played in, you know, several, uh, s- for several years on either the PGA Tour or the Web Tour um, that for one reason or another are now reinstated. Um, it's nothing, you know, I don't have anything against the guys. Right. For doing it's not
0: it. an individual um, thing. It's just more the, 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 it's the rule itself. I mean, the rules are the right. rules. So, right.
1: And I, and I don't have the answers of, um, when is enough enough? When can't you become reinstated or when uh, does a reinstatement last longer than a year or two years or anything like that? Um, I think that the, the biggest one that has kind of really sparked this entire topic would be with uh, John Peterson, what he has done the last year right, right. where he basically said, I'm I'm going to give this one last chance. And if this doesn't work, I'm done. I'm retiring. You know, I'm going to go sell houses or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, now he's said that he's not retired anymore. So, um, but a guy like John Pearson, who has competed basically almost every year, maybe the year after he got out of college, um, and played on the tour with, I, uh, you know, maybe not the highest level of success, but he definitely was close to winning. I, I, don't know if he won or not, but I know a few times he was close to winning. Made a ton of money, you know. That's it. That that's. A, that, that's at that point in time, you have decided that you're you are a professional, and if you choose that, then why wait, you know, a couple of years and then go ahead and, and compete against you know midams or amateurs or whatever? His his thing, I'm sure, was oh well now I can you know I can play in the U.S. Open as an amateur. I can play in the I can win the midam and go play at Augusta. Right. Those those type of things. But I think to be fair to the other people and even guys that you know have played on let's say mini tours for five or six years or whatever, and thought about it and, you know, tried to get to the web tour, tried to do these things. You know what? I'm not sure that, that they have made a complete career move, you know, were they dedicated in trying to get there. Yes. But playing on the PGA or web tours, a lot different than playing on, uh, you know, the Hooters tour.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: So uh, I, I think at that point, you know, If you've played on one, you know, the European tour, the Asian tour, or web tour, PGA tour, that sort of thing, and and, and you've been out there for a long time, uh, I think the waiting period has to be long enough where you have to make a difficult decision.
0: I completely agree. And I've actually talked to people and, and kicked around the idea of saying, okay, you know, if you if you want to get your status back before the age of 20, or if you want to get your amateur status back and you do it before the age of 25, I really don't have a problem with that either because, you know, hey, you, you played in college or you, you, you gave it a run. And, you know, if you really don't find too much success by the age of 25 and you just shut it down and get your amateur status back, I don't see a real big problem with that. Um, I, I kind of think back to, you know, like you, you have a guy that's worked his whole career and he, and he finds his way into a U.S. U S mid-am it's his first time. It's a dream for him. And, and he navigates his way somehow through stroke play and oh my God, he's into match play and he's got the dream of, Hey, if I can just get on a run here and win six matches and get to the final. And I got a shot to play a play 36 holes against another guy to you know, to have a chance to play in the masters what a dream that would be. And, you know, it it just all depends, but you know, what if you get into that match and you're in the round of 64 and and you're playing against a guy that has six, seven, eight, nine years of of professional experience behind him. And uh, that's that, I don't know, that just, it just doesn't feel right, I guess.
1: And there are certain aspects that, you know, if you've played professionally at that high of a level, you know, or on like on, P- on the PGA tour at the highest level, it doesn't matter the waiting period that you yeah, that's have my- to sit out because there are certain things that you will always retain.
0: Right. Yeah. That's- and, and,
1: and those are an advantage over other people. I, I can think of one person who kind of defies my thinking on this. And that is a guy from Vegas named Ed Fryett. Uh, I met Ed a few years ago. He's a great guy, former uh, tour player. I believe he won on the European tour. <clears throat> He lost his card, then went to the Web Tour, and I think he, from his, I don't know if this is accurate or not. He missed like something like 19 out of 20 cuts on the Web Tour, and said, "I'm done." Right. He then <laughs> starts up his own insurance agency, and doesn't play a competitive round of golf for 10 years. Okay. I think he went to UNLV. Uh, I think he played in. He told me he played in in uh, the UNLV golf outing, and maybe just. Occasionally with friends, but basically didn't didn't pick up uh, a club very often at all. Got into mountain biking and some other things like that. And then decides, okay, well, uh, I'm going to try to play golf again. You know, I think that, that type of situation is completely different than a lot of these others. He waited 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just like, Oh, well, you know, I, I, I didn't really make it on tour or I'm not having the success that I, that I want to on either the web or the PGA tour or European tour or wherever. Uh, I'm just gonna wait a couple of years, get my reinstatement, and then, and then keep playing. Well,
0: I, I, I don't. It's, it's definitely a case by case basis. You're 100 percent right. I mean, you know, I'm looking at Ed Fried's information now. I mean, this guy's played in the U.S. Open in '97. You know, he had you know four wins on the Asian Tour. He won a he won a nationwide tour event. He won it in 1999. But it can be debated and discussed. It. I think the real issue is what you know would you see all of these reinstated amateurs that used to be professionals would they all enter the u.s mid-amateur knowing that there was some sort of a rule that would immediately disqualify them from getting the master's invite that would be fascinating to see if that was put into place
1: yeah i i I still think that they would play and and as far as not being in a master's invite
0: um yeah i mean that would i mean i, I don't know the, i don't know the answer i, I, to I don't it. know that I would, I would i don't
1: know that i would agree with that um but I, I think the usga has to make a decision and kind of let everybody know hey this is our decision right you know th- these are the parameters but nobody knows yeah if i'm playing on the web.com tour for like five years and all of a sudden you know things aren't you know, maybe I've starting a family and things like that. Yeah. So I've, I've got to change and I haven't had that great of success. And now, okay, I, I want to get reinstated. Um, rather than sending in their reinstatement into the USGA and then going, okay, well, I, I I don't really know how long I have to wait until I get the letter back. You should know. They should have a formula set up in place that basically says, okay, you know, if you played on the Hooters tour for five years and, and you did this, or if you played on the web tour and, you know, you missed every cut for four years, um, you know, and then somehow found your way back via Q school. Okay, well, that that might be a little bit different than a guy that played for four years and made 300000
0: a year for four years. It's a very... <laughs> It'll be uh, debated and discussed probably for, for quite a long time. and, and Yeah, and I, and
1: I try to come at it from both sides. You know, obviously I was never a professional, uh, and, but I think there is a, a level of fairness to both sides.
0: No, you're 100% right. Yeah, it's something that needs to be really looked at, um, figure out a direction that needs to go, and that way it's fair to the to the amateurs that never turn pro and then also something that allows former professionals that didn't find success a place to play and to compete because that's – you know, we, we want to keep golf as, as open and as inclusive as possible.
1: 100% agree.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Cause I want to, I want to tie back. back. Um, you know, you've had, you've had great success on the national side. You've had great success, uh, you know, locally and, and, and state tournaments. You, you play a lot of Chicago district golf association events. How, how important is it for the state events you know, you're at the kind of the top of the chain. You've won multiple mid-amateurs. You've won Illinois state amateur events. Um, you know how important is that association in keeping your competitive, you know, keeping the competitive juices going while you prepare for for national events.
1: I think I think they are very important um, in terms of you know most of the events are kind of in a different or at a different time than, than some of the national events. You know, I know that as much as I'd like to, I'm not going to qualify for the USAM every year. Our state AM is, uh, it used to be at the time that the uh, USAM is now, and they moved it up a couple of weeks. So that's that's always a really good preparer for years that you, you do make the uh, USAM. You know, they they do as good a job as they can at getting the golf course, you know, to tournament conditions, um, you know, like a, a USGA level. Sure. Uh, and so some years they're able to do that. It, a lot of it depends on the weather. Some years they're able to do that uh, very closely and other years, you know, it's it's just a little different, but um, yeah, I, I'd say they're, they're very important more so than anything else. Uh, you know, over the years I've got friends that I see at state events, just like I do at uh, national events and it's, a, it's, a good time to catch up with them and see them and, and, and really enjoy it.
0: What, um, you know, I, I've seen some of the numbers decline in some of the uh, golf associations down here in Florida, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone has things going on with kids and things like that. But, um, are there, do you find that the numbers kind of have, have kind of cut down or, or, or fallen off in the, in the last several years and, you know what are maybe some of your thoughts about like let's say you know the guy listening to this podcast or or the the woman listening to this podcast that you know maybe they 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 shoot 77 or 78 consistently maybe they'll throw in a 73 every once in a while but then also throw in an 81 or an 82 every once in a while and maybe they can't compete day in and day out against Todd Mitchell or you know guys at that level like yourself um you know what are what are some of the things that we can do go, that golf can do to make it more inclusive to maybe the higher handicappers to play competitively.
1: You know, there are some national events like I, I believe the golf channel or golf week has or the GCM tour yeah. um, stuff like that. Um, a lot of times the, the, the biggest event that uh, for a lot of guys is like their member guests or their club championship or something like that playing against the guys that are their same handicap levels. You know, so if you're so if you're a guy that's let's say just a, a fifteen handicapper, and there's another guy that's a thirteen, and a other guy that's a sixteen, well, is is it better to go out and everybody gets a shot on their thirteen holes, or fifteen holes, or sixteen holes, or, or tee it up, and we're just going to go play, and there's no strokes? Um, I think I think that could be an uh, an interesting way to go about it. Uh, and a lot of times that happens uh, like at your member guest events or your club championships Um, I think that's a great way to do it I don't know that the state level um, just because of time and effort and the cost at at putting on a tournament uh, I don't know I I know we have some like one day events that uh, like four ball events that you can do right uh, that that have different handicap divisions and things like that. A lot of times the best way to do it is just have a great group of, of friends that, that like to gamble and, and go out there and in and the line. And, you know, a lot of times that's, that's better than, you know, traveling a couple hours and going to play at a, a place that maybe you're not familiar with. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about competing against friends.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think everyone likes you know putting a couple bucks in and having a couple of beers afterwards and getting after it. Uh, yep. Let let me get you out of here with just a, a one or two more quick questions. What is on your bucket list as far as uh, golf travel? You know, I would love giving all of our listeners ideas on places to go. You know, I took a trip last year at uh, at, at Cabot Links up in Nova Scotia, which was incredible. Um, I have a couple trips coming up. I know everyone is kind of maybe getting their calendars together for the summer, getting their buddies on the same page. What are some of the places you've been to or what are some of the places that are on your list? You know, as someone that's played, as you said, you've played Pine Valley, you've played some of the bigger clubs in the country. Um, Is there anything left on your list?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been over to Scotland once, but it it was, you know, 15 or 16 years ago. And, uh, you know, played pretty much, all the ones that you've heard of, Troon and Carnoustie and, and yep. um, Turnberry on that side. And the, the one thing that I, I did not do is, is we had to go into the draw uh, to get it to at St. Andrews. And that would have been in the morning. And there was no guarantees of whether you were going to get in the draw or not. Yeah. And that afternoon we were able to play at a place that's called King's Barnes, And that was already set in stone. Yep. And I heard that it was really good. And because of that, I did not put my name in the draw at St. Andrews and just went over and played Kings Barnes and really enjoyed it. Well, everybody from our group that put their name in the oh, into the draw no. ended up being able to play early at St. Andrews and got to play both places. So I've never played St. Andrews. So I'd like to get over there and be able to play at St. Andrews. And I'd really like to, to take a trip over to Ireland. Um, I've heard unbelievable things about Ireland. I've uh, said, so we, on the way to Scotland, we stopped in Dublin for like six hours as a layover, and we get to go to uh, some of the pubs and take a tour of a castle and things like that. But I've never played over there, so and I, I, I would be, I've heard just amazing things for that, so I, I'd like to take a trip over there. Whether or not that's going to happen, uh, you know, I, I think ultimate bucket list would be Australia.
0: That's a long flight. Uh, I, 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 I would yeah, like to. Yeah, that's a that. long flight. You got to talk yourself into that one. That's a tough one. Right.
1: But, you know, playing some of those places that you see on TV, and, and I, I think that would be the ultimate bucket list in terms of in, in the States. Uh, I've never played Cyprus. I'd like to play Cyprus. Uh, obviously, Augusta, I've never been there. Uh, but those are two things that, you know, most likely we won't ever play at those places. It'll just be, you know, something that might
0: be a hope and a dream one day. Yeah. Uh, Final one to get you out of here. We have a lot of amateurs, like I said, listening to the podcast. They're always looking for different ways to trim a couple shots off of their handicap, maybe get ready for a member guest, get ready for a club championship. You know, you have limited time with with your career. You got the family, you have a busy tournament schedule. What are some things that you do to kind of sharpen up your game in preparation for tournaments that kind of gets you ready with limited time?
1: You know, I I hit a lot of golf balls. I don't play uh, that often when I'm back home, so I use my time and I really enjoy practicing. Um, I don't know how great it is, but I I enjoy, you know, putting some headphones in and and hitting balls for, you know, hour, hour and a half, something like that. Um, In terms of with limited time, uh, in order to prepare for anybody, whether you've got a big match against your buddies coming up or whatever make time each practice session even if it's only for an hour or 45 minutes. Um, if, you, if you practice for 45 minutes, hit balls for like 20 minutes get in some putting and, and make sure to uh, get in some short game work. you know don't just don't just live on the range um, and just whack one ball after the other. You know,
0: spread it around. That's uh, that's probably why you've been at the level you're at. That's why you played in numerous USGU championships. Well, uh, Todd, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to join us today at the back of the range. I know you got uh, a lot of tournaments and a lot of things coming up this year. I know you're getting ready to head over to Bandon Dunes, I believe, with uh, with your buddy Scott Harvey. Um, so good luck with that. Good luck with the entire season. We'll follow you and see how things go at the, the US Four Ball. And again, thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by.
1: Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it.
0: And there you have it. Another great episode here at the Back of the Range. Special thanks to Todd Mitchell for joining us this week. Best of luck to everyone at Nationals. Best of luck to everyone at the U.S. 4-Ball. And best of luck to my friends and I. Hopefully, we can survive Casa de Campo. You know, it's unlimited food and drinks and golf. And oh, boy. Anyway, we'll see you next week for Episode 76 here at the Back of the Range.